All right, welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Luke. Our goal here on the Listener's Commentary is to provide really down-to-earth Bible teaching that can help us follow Jesus right in the context of our everyday life. I like to call that blue jeans theology, theology that helps us follow Jesus where we live every single day. In this particular volume, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke and trying to understand Jesus and how Luke presents Jesus to us. And in this session, we're going to be looking at Luke 11, 37 through 54. In this section, Jesus confronts Pharisees and their scribes for really being focused more on the outside than on the inside. It seems to flow out of the tail end of our last section where Jesus talked about the light that is within you and making sure that the light that is within you isn't actually darkness, like the stuff that's inside of you that you claim to know and you claim to have light is actually really light and not actually darkness that's inside of you. This section is going to deal with all that stuff that's on the inside of you. Here's the way it's organized. Verses 37 through 41 really is the main point of the section in the sense of what the problem is and how it needs to be addressed. Then in verses 42 through 54, you get really some examples or descriptions of the kinds of hypocrisy that results when there is a focus more on externals rather than on the internal. So the main point has to do with cleaning the inside of the cup. And then we get these examples of here's the kind of hypocrisy that happens when you don't clean the inside of the cup, that when you just focus on external religious activity. The first set of those examples in verses 39 through 44 is going to focus on some practices of the Pharisees. The second set of examples in verses 45 through 52 are examples of the misuse and interpretation of Scripture by the scribes, by some of the scholars of the law. So we get the main point about cleaning the inside of the cup, and then we get uh, some examples of the kinds of hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy, that happens when we're more focused on religious externals. Let's jump in and look at the details. Verse 37 says, now when he had spoken, he had spoken the previous section about um, he had been accused of casting out demons by Beelzebub. He confronted them on that. And then he talked about listening to the word of God and making sure that the light within you is actually light and not darkness. Well, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And Jesus went in and reclined at the table, the typical posture for eating a meal together, particularly in a formal situation, was reclining at table. So he went in and reclined at table at this Pharisee's house and had lunch with him. When the Pharisee saw this, he was surprised that Jesus had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. Now this complaint, this surprise of the Pharisee and his maybe disapproval and disappointment of Jesus grew out of the goal of the Pharisees to maintain a state of ritual purity in their own homes, similar to that of the priests in the temple. That was really the goal for the Pharisees. They wanted their home to be like an extension of the altar in the temple, and thus they wanted to maintain 
a strict code of ritual purity. If it was good enough for the priests, it was good enough for them. Hey, we're supposed to be a kingdom of priests, so let's be just as pure in our own homes as the priests were required to in the temple. That was sort of the goal. And as a result, they had all sorts of practices to make that possible. Since the priests must be ritually clean to serve at the temple, well, we must be ritually clean as well to eat in our own homes. In fact, Exodus chapter 30, verses 19 through 21, tells the priest that, look, before you can serve in the tabernacle or the temple, you need to wash. Before you can offer a sacrifice at the altar, you need to wash your hands and your feet. Well, the Pharisees then extended this to their own home and really to all people. In fact, one rabbinic writing said, if, if a person's hands are unclean, everything becomes unclean. And so this washing of hands as a really with the goal of being just as pure as the priests, that washing of hands was really paramount to the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't buy it, doesn't believe all that. And so he doesn't practice ritual washing before eating. And the Pharisee whose house he's eating at is surprised by that and looks on with disapproval. Well, here's how Jesus responds to that in verse 39. But the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but your inside is full of greed and wickedness. So the picture that Jesus uses is of a bowl or a cup that has been already used. And... Um, it's got all sorts of food stuff still inside the bowl. And instead of washing the inside, you just kind of scrub the outside of the bowl, but you leave all that food stuff just to harden on on the inside of the bowl, right? That's the picture that he's dealing with. And so Jesus is saying, look, you pay attention to cleaning the outside of the bowl, but the really dirty part is the inside. But your inside is full of greed and wickedness. You foolish ones, verse 40. Did he who made the outside not also make the inside? In other words, didn't God make both the inside and the outside? So don't you think God would care not just about the outside, but also about the inside? Um, and then Jesus gives a pres prescription, really, in verse 41, since he mentioned greed as one of the problems that's going on on their insides. Here's a solution for that. Here's a prescription for that, verse 41. But give that which is within you as a charitable gift. Give to take care of the needy. Give uh, all that, and, and all things will be clean for you. And so since they're full of greed, the solution to that is generosity. Be generous and give, and that will clean the insides, right? And that really helps us understand what Jesus is thinking of, is that there are spiritual practices, when done a certain way, that can actually be a means of changing our heart, cleaning our insides. And when we're talking about cleaning the inside, we're not only talking about an attitude, a spiritual mood or a spiritual feeling, oh, I felt really close to God today, or gee, I really felt God's presence. That's good and that's helpful, but we're talking about far more than that. We're talking about what I sometimes describe as the topography of your soul. That is the general shape and size and makeup of your heart what we live for, what what you die for, what you desire, what you will, what you think about, what feelings and emotions regularly flow through your inner being. To clean the inside of the cup means that all of the stuff that goes on under the surface is shaped like Jesus. It's, it's like the stuff that went on inside of Jesus's heart and soul.
And when, quote-unquote, religion doesn't take hold of a person's insides, then all different kinds of hypocrisy results. Uh, and God's will for us as human beings becomes twisted and deformed. And what Jesus is saying is that's what happened to the Pharisees. They were maintaining religious appearances. They were doing all these religious activities, but it only really touched the outside of their life. It didn't go beneath the surface and change their insides. And so as a result, uh, their their insides were deformed and their understanding of God's will was twisted and wrong. Well, here in this section, Jesus then challenges them to clean the inside of the cup. And then immediately after that, in the next handful of verses, Jesus launches into what I called in the intro a series of examples or descriptions of the kinds of hypocrisy that can result when we're focused on religious externals and not cleaning the inside of the cup. The way Jesus does that is he launches into a series of woes on the Pharisees and then on the scribes or the experts in the law. Such woes are really reminiscent of the Old Testament prophets and the way they denounce the Jewish leaders of their day. And a woe is essentially saying God's judgment is upon you. And so what Jesus is saying in these woes is, look, here's some examples or descriptions of the kind of hypocrisy I see in you. And it's it actually is bringing God's judgment upon you. And so here are the kinds of things that cleansing the outside of the cup looked like when they failed to actually clean the inside of the cup as well. And the first one is fascinating in verse 42 because Jesus accuses them of greed and wickedness. He then tells them to give that which is within as a charitable gift. Offer it as a gift to others and to God, right? That's what he's saying. Give that which is within you as a charitable gift. Give it for the sake of others, and all things will be clean. Well, they already give. They just give in a religiously external sort of way, and they don't really pay attention to what's going on in the heart. That's verse 42. So here's the first example, the first woe. Verse 42, woe to you Pharisees. For you pay tithes of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you ignore justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So notice how it ends, without neglecting the others. Jesus is saying, look, it's great that you tithe. That's important. Don't neglect that. But there's more to it than that. Don't ignore justice and the love of God. And so example number one here is detailed attention to tithing while neglecting care of uh, and justice for the poor and the needy. Um, in fact, verse 42 actually opens with a strong contrast. But notice, but woe to you Pharisees. And it's not a generic, uh, but there's two different words that could be translated but in Greek. This is a strong contrast. This is however. This is nevertheless, right? Like, woe to you. Um, in con you guys look so religious. You look so holy. But there's a problem. It's a big problem. It's the inside. So don't just do the religious activity of tithing, right? That, and that was a big deal to them. In fact, the Mishnah confirms that the Pharisees did, in fact, tithe on everything that is used for food, right? They, 
they had taken the Old Testament commandment to tithe on grain, wine, and olive oil, and they expanded that to include all other cultivated crops used as food. You know, so figs, grapes, pomegranates, walnuts, cucumbers, garden herbs, as Jesus mentions here. They had expanded that, and Jesus says, fine, do that. Don't neglect that. Um, showing your gratitude to God by tithing, great. The problem is they fulfill their religious obligation, but they're largely unconcerned for others. And the love of God that's supposed to manifest itself in love of neighbor is not showing up in them, and, and yet they seem very religious. So woe to you for that. Verse 43, you get the next one. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the seat of honor in the synagogues and personal greetings in the marketplaces. And so the second example, the second problem is, your desire for acclaim and honor and preferential treatment. You want attention and you want to be acknowledged for your importance and your status and presumably, you know, your religious importance because you're a Pharisee and you're a leader and you're a leader in the synagogue. And so you want everyone to know it. You want the chief seats and you want to be treated with this honor and you want people to notice that. And so this desire for acclaim is a problem that needs to be cleaned out of the insides. Verse 44, another example, woe to you, for you are like unseen tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. And so example number three is, you appear religious and spiritual, but you actually conceal death and uncleanness. In the Old Testament law, contact with a tomb rendered someone unclean for seven days. You can find that in Numbers 19.16. And so the Pharisees are trying to be so clean, and that's where this started, right? Washing the hands, being ritually clean in their own homes when they eat their meals. The Pharisees are trying to be so clean, but they're actually a source of uncleanness. They're like unmarked tombs, and people don't even know that they're being made unclean by being around them. And so, woe to you. God's judgment is upon you. Well, now we shift to the lawyers. That is the experts in the Old Testament law and their interpretation of the Old Testament law. So these are the guys that teach the law, are viewed as experts and know really what the law means and how to apply it to life. And Jesus then says, there's some problems with you too. So verse 45, one of the lawyers, one of these experts said to him in reply, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Um, well, Jesus doesn't back down. Uh, he says, he basically says, yeah, you're right. You guys have a problem as well. And so verse 46, Jesus said, woe to you lawyers as well. For you load people with burdens that are hard to bear, while you yourselves don't even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And so to the lawyers, he, his first example is, you give all these detailed regulations from your interpretation of the law, and then you know building on that uh, traditions on how you should apply and live that law out, and you pile all these detailed regulations for the spiritual life up, while finding ways around it for yourselves, right? Or your failure to help other people live it out yourselves. And so you pile up all these regulations, but then you got loopholes and escape clauses and ways that you can avoid it. And so you've actually made doing God's word, God's law, hard and difficult. And then you found ways to avoid 
living out those very things yourself. And so you load people down with burdens and you don't keep them yourself. Then Jesus goes on to another example of this kind of religious hypocrisy. And in this case, it's honoring the ancient prophets by building expensive tombs to them in their honor, while at the same time persecuting or killing the very prophets that God is now sending you. And as a result, you show that you're of the same heart as your fathers who killed the the prophets of old. And so Jesus says, woe to you, verse 47, for you build the tombs of the prophet and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and you approve of the deeds of your father because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. One of the most frequent criticisms of the Jewish leaders found in the prophets is neglecting social justice and mercy. And these scribes are guilty of the same sin. But then they build expensive monuments in the honor of the old prophets. And and Jesus' complaint is, look, you're no different than your fathers. It's almost as if you're approving of your father's deeds for killing these prophets by trying to honor these prophets. In fact, Jesus says in verse 49, you actually do the same sort of thing. Verse 49, for this reason also, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and they will persecute so that the blood of all the prophets since shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel, Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Notice how specific Jesus is, this generation. What he's getting at is, you claim to be honoring the prophets, and that And yet you're of the exact same spirit of them. You resist God's prophets, God's teachers, uh, apostles, and all of those. You're actually persecuting them and killing some of them. Abel is the first person killed in Scripture, killed by his brother Cain. And even though his act was righteous, Genesis says, Zechariah mentioned here was the son of the priest during the reign of Joash the king. He's mentioned in 2 Chronicles 24, 20 through 22. He spoke by way of the Spirit, denouncing the Jews of his day for forsaking the Lord. And he was actually killed in the temple courtyard. You can read about it there in 2 Chronicles 24. Well, in the Hebrew book order, Chronicles is the last book. And thus, from Abel to Zechariah is from the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures to the end of the Hebrew Scriptures, and every righteous person and every righteous spokesman for God in between, look, your fathers killed them and you're doing the exact same thing. That's the issue. Um, you're honoring the ancient prophets by building expensive tombs to them while being of the same heart. And that heart shows itself in persecuting and even sometimes killing the prophets and apostles God is now sending you. Then he goes on in verse 52 to give a sixth example. Woe to you lawyers, he says, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter and you hindered those who were entering. In other words, this what he's saying here is you claim to know and teach God's law but you actually keep people from finding God's truth. You actually make it harder to understand. You twist it all up and you cover it up in so many traditions and you're actually hindering people from entering into it. Those maybe who even wanted to, they can't figure it out because uh, you have taken away the key of knowledge. 
One commentator says, In their hands, the law that was intended to lead people to God and to his life has become an obstacle course. So much stuff, it's just impossible to find your way through. Well, Jesus pronounces these woes on the Pharisees and the scribes because, as we saw at the beginning, really the main issue is they're cleaning the outside of the cup and not the inside. In other words, they have all this external religious knowledge and activity and rules and traditions, but it's not changing their heart. And, And Jesus pronounces woes on them because of that. What's the reaction? Well, look at verse 53. When he left that place, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to interrogate him about many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. And so we sense the the tension is mounting in the plot of Luke's gospel. Um, The hostility between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus is growing. And now, whenever they get a chance, they interrogate him. They're asking him questions with a hostile bent and a hostile motive, with the goal of hoping to trap him in something he might say, to make him look bad in front of the people, and maybe even find some way to accuse him and punish him. And so the tension mounts between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, before we leave this section, let's just offer a little reflection on really the main point of this section. Jesus isn't giving us an either-or. It's not so much it's either internals or externals. It's a both-and. And you even hear that when he says, don't neglect you know, the tithing, um, but also make sure you're full of justice and the love of God, right? He's giving an order of priority. Not an either-or, but an order of priority. Clean the insides, and what happens? The outsides get clean. Uh, just, again, think of the main point with dishes. If you take the dish, you submerge the whole thing in water, and you scrub the inside, what happens? The outside gets clean too, right? And that's the point. Externals matter too. The problem is externals are so easy to measure, so observable, that they so often become our focus. And they tend to be the kind of thing that because it's so obvious, leads to what I call checklist religion. And so we measure people's spirituality and faithfulness by checklist religion. Did you do your daily devotions? How often are you attending church? Are you praying before meals? Are you doing it when you go to restaurants? Are you tithing regularly and how much are you tithing? Oh, are you singing passionately on Sundays? Did you close your eyes and raise your hands, right? Do we have our small kids under control? Or whatever our values are, those become an easy, observable way to measure someone's spirituality. But if there's a disconnect between what one appears to be on the outside and what one really is on the inside, That's hypocrisy, and that's a problem. And so Jesus says, clean the inside. Let Jesus transform your inner life, your character, your desires, your ambition, and what you love. And when Jesus does that, what happens is your outsides get clean too. What shows up on the outside is increasingly in sync with what Jesus wants done and with Jesus' kingdom. So clean the inside and the outsides will become clean too.